Welcome to Scotch Parlor. I'm Rick Scotch, your host of the Scotch Parlor podcast, where we capture lifestyles and share stories of inspiring people that bring motivation, knowledge, and entertainment to our community. Life is good. Let's get started. Welcome to Scotch Parlor. I'm your host, Rick Scotch, on the Scotch Parlor podcast. This podcast episode will be a little different. You're about to hear the whole audio recording of the interview I did with John Wolf, which was originally for his short flick video story on scotchpotter.com, which you should go watch, by the way. The thing is, John offered so much advice and inspiration about his creative journey, I couldn't get it all in for the video. So I decided, you know what, let's just make a podcast episode out of it. John has been painting for over 35 years and absolutely loves what he does. In this podcast, John talks about where it all began, his process as a painter, what inspires him, what other artists should use for inspiration, and what art means to him. So, you know what? Go watch the short flick on scotchparlor.com and enjoy this podcast episode. How did it begin for you, John? Well, um, my dad is an artist and my brother's an artist. The, um, when I was about six years old, I started learning uh, basic perspective, one-point perspective, and uh, saw some paintings on the wall that my dad had done and uh, decided that that was something that I was really interested in. I just felt like that was what I was supposed to be for the rest of my life, even as a kid. Um, I followed that up, and I was really lucky to have a great art teacher in high school who was absolutely... Uh, Um, 100% dedicated to making his students be serious and understand the principles and elements of design. So you had people in this small town of 10,000 people and you have a number of people that are making their living off of art who who, uh, had Ed Miller as a high school art teacher. Um, My brother included, Mike Wolf. So um, uh, John Kincaid, a professional cartoonist, um, there are a number of other people, uh, a lot who, I can't think of a lot of names, but they're, you know, it's incredible that this many people were cranked out of this small school. Instead of winning high school football championships, we were winning the art state competition every year. So from there, I had a, a, a um, Terry Martin was my, uh, college painting professor. And, uh, he was also very encouraging and demanding from there. Uh, I started selling work in college, and as I went from job to job, there was one consistent thing, and that was that I was painting, and people wanted to, you know, to see what type of painting I would come up with with something that they wanted. I was doing commissions, not for very much money, but I was doing commissions, and uh, that sort of followed on and followed on until uh, I, I came to California, came to San Francisco to a wedding in '97, and I sold a painting. On that trip, I looked around, I saw the weather, and I thought, man, I've got to, why don't I live here? So from that time, maybe 10 days later, I was out here. Um, I got a job uh, in the tech industry and sold paintings on the side to, for, uh, for about 10 years. And then I decided that uh, I'd better get on with being a painter. And so that's what I did. What is your process when you start a paint project? For me, uh, obviously all, all painters and all artists are going to have their own process. And you find that process through hours and hours and hours of practicing and doing it the way you're going to do it. 
There is no wrong process, but for me, in painting, I like to have a prepared canvas, meaning I like to paint, do an underpainting, and then do another underpainting, which is a drawing. So, for instance, I may completely paint, uh, if I want a warm painting, I'll, I'll completely cover it with orange or a dark red, and um, normally a medium value. And then I'll do a drawing over that. What, you know, sometimes when it's dry, sometimes I don't want that drawing done uh, while the underpainting is dry. So from there you layer and you layer and you wait and you have to be patient to, especially with oil paints, because that warm color can bleed through even after days of drying, curing. So for me, I like to do a painting, try to be patient, and then come back to it a week later, and then maybe come back to it a month later and add layers and, and, and go generally from big dark shapes to smaller lighter uh, shapes and as it gets closer to the end it's really actually for me it's more fun because that's when a painting really uh, really pops you know you do that 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 last you know uh, stroke of the glint of an eye or something that's wet and you know that it's not you know the 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 the, the lower uh, painting the underpainting is not going to bleed through and, and that's how it's going to look when you're finished and that's that's a really good feeling but that's that's just the physical process you know when, when you're talking about a commission um, if I work with somebody I like to work with them during the process to me that's that's a big part of it if somebody wants their church painted you know where they got married you know, I want to know a little bit about the event, you know, was there, were there, was, were there any memories there that there are kids running around or was there, what type of day was it? Was it sunny? Was it not sunny? Um, and then, and then sort of get an idea of where the painting is going to go. If it's going to go in a big space, obviously I want to fill the wall. If it's going to go in a smaller space and it's sort of a wide space, like over, maybe over a small couch, then obviously you want to fit the space. So working with the person, understanding what paintings of mine that they've looked at and liked, whether they're more illustrative or more abstract or uh, what they call painterly with big brush strokes. Um, I like to talk to them and find out what they like so that I can do something that pleases them because, you know, although I want to do something that I really like, there's so many different types of paintings out there and I, I jump around from style to style sometimes just to learn. And then when I do a painting for myself, I have a little bit of knowledge of this. Maybe, maybe I want a little bit more illustration in my drawings or my paintings. Or maybe I want, you know, want to have a, a bigger, uh, broader brush strokes. Um, then I can, as I practice these different styles, um, I can get better at a core style that I like and that I'm going to do most of my paintings for, especially for myself. So... You know, you have processes working with people. You have processes that you do alone when you're just beginning the, the physical entity of it. And, uh, you know, then there's this long-term processes of being patient. Those are, the, those are the, really the things that, that I pay attention to. How do you battle with being a perfectionist as an artist versus being an entrepreneur that needs to eat? That's a great question. Okay, so... And it's something I think every artist struggles with. And probably every artist in the past, has, even, even in, in particular famous artists that you've heard of, um, you've heard of the, of, the, of the saying, starving artist. But no artist wants to be a starving artist, right? There's no, there, there's no romance when you're actually starving. So naturally, you have to find some way of developing your craft, not quite being there yet, 
but developing your craft and still surviving as a human, right? So it's really great if you can do that with side paintings and, you know, without, uh, and, I, and I hate this word, but without prostituting yourself, you know, how do you maintain that balance of, of, of trying to become a better painter and also staying true to yourself and also eating? So you try to balance that. And, and a lot of times you can actually use those uh, commissions that you're doing for people who want that painting of the church or who want the painting of, the, of their dog or whatever. Maybe it's not the, my first choice, but if, if I can do that and learn while I'm doing it, then I've killed two birds with one stone. I've got to practice anyway. So if I can practice different styles or if I can practice uh, you know, being more accurate or being more illustrative, um, and then bring that back to my, my core paintings, the ones I do for myself, and the ones that I might have in a show, then, you know, I've, I've, I've killed two birds with one stone. Um, but it's not easy. I mean, you know, you, you can get lost, and if you're, if you're doing too much that's, you know, too, too illustrative and too tight and too perfect, then you come back, it's hard to shake that and then loosen up again. But... You know, you, 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 you've got to put food on the table, you know, and, and if you're not independently wealthy or have a rich uncle or, or inheritance, which I don't have, uh, then, you know, you have to deal with that. So that's, that's a great question. Where does your inspiration come from? So this is a really good question because it's not, it, there's, it's not a simple answer. You know, you want to say, oh, I was walking through the forest and I saw the, I saw the light through the trees and I was, you know, I experienced this fu uh, fundamental change in consciousness and I couldn't help but paint it. And that can happen, right? I go on hikes and things and, and uh, you know, I'm out in nature and of course that is inspiring. But you're also inspired by people. You know, my family has, has helped inspire me, my dad, my brother, my mom, my sister. Everyone has a role in, in being a part of that inspiration. Um, my aunt one time, uh, Tanya Graves, um, gave me this book. So I, I, I actually, I brought this book because this is, a any, if anyone's watching this and you're just starting to learn to paint, or if anybody's curious about it, this is the greatest book ever. It's called American Painters. And it has a, I mean, it's got these big, beautiful, giant, uh, you know, prints in here of these, uh, of, of it's in chronological order. You can go all the way back. There's, there's uh, John Singer Sargent. You've got these guys all the way back to the very beginnings. And then it goes all the way to the to, uh, you know, pop art and op art. But that book right there has inspired me more than anything. So American painters, turn of the century painters, Winslow Homer, um, Edward Hopper. Um, uh, I mean, go on down the list. I've got a bunch. There, there are some paintings here in the museum here in San Francisco at the... Uh, at the um, uh, out in I can't think of the name of the of the, of the one out there in the park, um, but there are beautiful paintings out there, and you see those, and you study them, and you go to you travel around. I mean, you just you can find inspiration from just about anywhere. Um, and recently, I've started being inspired by uh, people that I find on Instagram. You didn't used to be able to see these painters. I didn't know there was a guy across town doing this, or that there was a guy down in L.A. doing this. And and there's one guy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look up to make sure I say this right because I don't really uh, no, not saying, but uh, there's a couple of people. Um, Harry uh, Stushinoff 
It's S-T-O-O-S-H-I-N-O-F-F. He does these small paintings that are, uh, they're almost abstract. Uh, they're so, um, so simple, but they're about this big. And he paints sometimes, he'll put his e easel on the steering wheel of his car and go out and paint plain air. And I'm thinking, I'm seeing these things and they're so cool and he's so prolific. And I see these things and I can see that, that one and, and many others, not just him, but, the, but uh, there's some other people too that I follow that are just, you know, I, I see there's some Russian painters that are just guys out there painting that do beautiful landscapes. So I've got this whole new, you know, besides from just talking to my brother and bouncing ideas off of him, which I do all the time, I, you know, I can, I, can, I can talk to these guys online all of a sudden. It's a new world, right? I can talk to people I would never meet. I can see how much they're working. I can see what their process is. Um, and I can, see, I can see what they're selling. It's just inspiration can come from anywhere these days, man. And, and it's, it's a lot different than it used to be. You don't feel like you're as lost out there in the world. So I would, um, I would suggest if you're, if you're a young painter, uh, if you're, you know, get on Instagram and, and, and talk to people and ask them questions. I've been painting for 35, 40 years almost, and uh, I still, every time I paint, I learn something. And if I can ask somebody that's a great painter that has a completely different style than me, or is painting a completely different, maybe they paint in acrylics, I can learn something with every time I paint and every time I turn on my phone or open a book. It's just endless. What does art mean to you? Well... Okay, so I, I have to say I appreciate so many different art forms from acting to, you know, movie making, video, um, even, even sculpture, dance. But for me, I, I'm going to speak in terms of painting, obviously, because I'm a painter. Um, and it's kind of, it's an interesting thing because art, I feel like, is, 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 is something that is, is going to be the last thing, hopefully, that's taken over by AI, right? Art is uh, is, is basic, fundamental um, human effort, and what derives from that effort. Um, you can look at the you can look at the um, at the principles and elements of anything of sound, of imaging, um, you know the, the uh, lines, forms, colors, texture, space, the tools that you use to manipulate those those elements. Um, varieties, rhythms, balances, unity, all that stuff works together. But ultimately, it, you know, it, painting is a physical thing that is the result of intense and concentrated human effort. And it is intrinsically worthy. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's something that um, will up the level of any room you walk into. If you are um, lucky enough to go to the White House or go to any uh, really nice, cool building or room, you're never going to find a print. You're never going to find a, a non-human made or removed element. You're, you're not going to find, normally you're not going to find just a, a print that you got at Z Gallery or, or at some place, I have, you know, people call it fake art. Fake art doesn't make you happy. There's no, uh, there's no personal touch to fake art. You know, if you can find an artist that you know and uh, you're comfortable with, you like their style, and you can commission a painting or you see something that, that 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 touches you, and you can feel that effort and you can feel that that um, desire to create something that's good, 
and that's real and that's tangible and that you can put on your wall and feel as good as a thousand, you know, $20,000 couch that you might buy that you're going to have to throw out in 20 years. Um, you know, art is something that is hopefully that you'll have for the rest of your life and that you can pass on. It becomes an heirloom. It's worthy. That's what art to me is. And that's a wrap. Make sure you check out the short flick video story on scotchpotter.com. And if you're not subscribing already, please do so. And thank you, John, for your time and sharing your story. Truly appreciate it.